welcome, friend, to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church. Union Congregational is a caring community connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. At Union, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, that no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, God's grace is for you. So wherever this message finds you, I hope you will hear in it the living word and be blessed. Our scripture reading today is from Luke, first five, chapters 17 through 26. It is in our new international version of our Bibles. One day, Christ was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they had tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But in order that you may see clearly that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned and he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately, he stood in front of them. He took what had been laying on, he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. May God add a blessing to the hearing of this word. Amen. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the third chapter, verses 14 through 19. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of God for 
the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of this service, this Sunday is known as Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday before Lent. Uh, It's called this recalling the story of Jesus taking a couple of his disciples up on a mountaintop. And while they are up there, the glory of the Lord descends upon Jesus and shines on his face so that his face then reflects that light back to them. It's this amazing scene where Jesus is transfigured by God. And the disciples who witnessed this event see clearly who he is. They realize he's the Messiah, that he is Christ, that he is the Savior. But this year on Transfiguration Sunday, as part of our year-long series of God's story and our story, we're hearing a different story, but it is still a story of transfiguration. In this case, it's the transfiguration of this paralyzed man. By Christ's words and the power of God that they convey, the paralyzed man is transfigured. He is given a new look and a new life, and in turn, he glorifies God, just as the glory of God shone out of Jesus' face. All the people who were there, we are told, saw and understood and were amazed, and so On this Transfiguration Sunday, we are hearing a story of incredible things indeed. But this morning, as I think about this story, I want to put a tag on it. I want to put a little message in the back of your mind to hear the word God is speaking in the midst of this story. It also comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. By grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. As I said, this comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians a little earlier on. It goes on. It says, by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast, for we are what Christ has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This morning in Sunday school, we spent a little bit of time talking about what it means to be saved, what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Salvation is at once the very center of the Christian faith, but it's also this great mystery. What does it mean to be saved? As we went around the room, we all had different ideas, different thoughts on the matter. It's no wonder, of course, because salvation is a way of describing a reality that is close to the very mystery of God. To know what it means to be saved is, in Paul's words, to understand that knowledge that surpasses knowledge. And so thankfully, even if we cannot make sense of these propositions in doctrinal statements or anything like that, we get this story, this story, I think, that illustrates for us, so that we may see clearly what the gift of salvation looks like. So one day Jesus was there teaching and healing people, and some men came, and they brought another man who was paralyzed on a, on a mat or a bed. And not content to wait on the fringes of the crowd, 
where they might have missed out on their opportunity to have the man healed, they come up with a plan. They take the paralytic, maybe he was their friend, maybe he was their employer, maybe he was just some stranger that they found by the side of the road, we don't really know, but they take him and they push him bodily up onto the roof of the house. Maybe they had to go get a ladder first, we don't really know, but again, they had to push this guy up onto the roof. And can you imagine how they even came up with that as an idea in the first place? It seems, uh, it seems a little extraordinary. It's a little reckless to, I think, put a paralyzed person up on the roof of a house. It's even more reckless to then begin pulling back the tiles of the roof and digging down through the mud and thatch insulation that would have been underneath them. Can you imagine being in the house down below? Can you imagine if, if someone started peeling back the ceiling here, a hole big enough to lower a man through? It must have taken them a few minutes. And the people below just feeling the drip, drip, drip of the mud and the thatch coming down, wondering what in the world is going on here? And then maybe one of the two of these guys jump down and they reach up and they catch the mat as it's being lowered and they come and they rest this paralyzed man at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face when they do this? Can you imagine the look on everyone else's face? Were they amazed, astounded? Were they angry? They'd all been waiting for Jesus to heal them after all. But Jesus, Jesus, they have his attention now. And so he turns to the man and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And maybe he was just trying to cut the tension. After all, isn't breaking and entering into a house through the roof a sin? Perhaps this was just Jesus ready to kind of laugh the whole thing off. But then the Pharisees come in and they say, who does this guy think he is forgiving sins like that? Only, only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus realizes what we have here is a teachable moment. You see, he had seen the faith of the men. And then he had declared that the man's sins had been forgiven. It was because of their faith that his sins are forgiven. By grace you have been saved through faith. Remember that. The paralyzed man, he never says anything throughout this story. We don't know if he asked these men to bring him to Jesus. We don't know if he was brought there unwillingly. We don't know anything about him. We don't even know how the other men are related to him. But we do know this. The other men had faith. And because of their faith, his sins were forgiven. It was grace. It was grace, the generosity of spirit and action that brought about the change that would come in the paralyzed man's life. It was their deep trust in God that was at work in each of those men, this grace that poured out of them, this compassion for the paralyzed man. And in turn, it's the deep trust that God was at work in this man, Jesus Christ, that they would bring him to him. If only they could get him through the crowd, that Jesus would take care of the rest. And then Jesus does just that. 
Jesus brings about a healing so thoroughgoing that it utterly transforms this paralytic man inside and out. Because in the Jewish world, if you had a condition like paralysis, if you, if you had one of these persistent disabilities, it was often believed to be the result of sin, uh, that your body reflected the sin-sick nature of your soul, broken and unable in, in to work. But in Jesus' time, there were a lot of people who could heal bodies. There were a lot of people who could drive out demons by laying on hands, but Jesus... Jesus could forgive sins, and that's a whole different kettle of fish. The Pharisees and the scribes call him out on this because what they believe is that we human beings appease God with some sort of sacrifice, and that's how we earn God's forgiveness. But here's Jesus just giving away forgiveness, standing in the place of God, which is, of course, exactly where Jesus stands. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast, but we are what Christ has made us to be. All the people gathered there, they don't see it. But Jesus sees it, and he makes them see it. He says, so that you may see clearly that the Son of Man has authority over this earth, he says to them. And then with a dramatic flourish, he turns to the man, he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then he actually does it. He is transfigured. And he goes away glorifying God. You see, it had been prepared for them. Before those men had picked up that mat, before even they had climbed up onto that roof, it was already God's most fervent wish, God's deepest desire that sins would be forgiven. And it was just these friends or these strangers or whoever these guys were, whether they intended it or not, working out the will of God in their extraordinary efforts. They were the instruments of God's grace, that unmerited, unasked for undeserved care that God lavishes upon creation. It was already at work through the faith of these men. They had been created for these good works. That is what Jesus saw when he saw their faith. You see, grace and faith, they come together in the will of God for our lives. And that is where salvation is found. But what does it mean to be saved? I was reading a memoir this past week called A Body Undone uh, by Dr. Christina Crosby, an English professor. Uh, She wrote about the experience of becoming a quadriplegic at the age of 50. For 50 years, she had been this strong, active, empowered woman uh, who was capable of doing whatever she felt that she wanted to do. She could run, she could cycle, and then one night she was out riding her bike and a branch got caught between the spokes of the front wheel and she flew over the handlebars and smashed her face, broke two bones in her neck, and one of the bones cut into her spinal cord, paralyzing the rest of her body. 
That meant that she could no longer control or even feel the muscles from her neck down. And Crosby's memoir is significant in, in the genre because she does not shy away from describing the utterly debilitating pain that comes with that sort of injury, the indignities that come with being paralyzed. Hers is not some triumphal story of a miraculous recovery or, or of salvation or of transfiguration. It is, it is a very detailed, very explicit description of the pain of being a paralytic. She puts flesh on the bones of that word. At one point she says that she will never, as long as she lives, be free of the pain that feels like pins and needles burning her all over. She describes how her muscles atrophied, both the muscles that moved her hands and her legs and, and also the ones that moved her bowels. And in great detail, she describes the lengthy process that is now required for that basic mundane bodily task that we all take for granted. She makes it clear that even as we think of paralysis as the separation of the body from the mind, it is actually the exact opposite. The mind, the soul, the spirit is trapped in this pained and constrained body. And yet, the whole time, she, she could nevertheless remember what it had once been like to be free and to be strong. Her memoir gives us a sense of what the experience of that paralytic would have been before this encounter with Jesus. It's to be in pain. It's to feel constrained. It is, as Crosby says, to forever grieve the loss of your former self, that body, mind, spirit that can run and cycle, but will never do that again. But the most fascinating chapter in the book, for me at least, was the one about Donna, who was Crosby's CNA. She met her in the rehab hospital in the aftermath of her accident, and CNAs are the, are the medical professionals, the folks who do all of the hard work of caring for broken bodies. They're the ones who, who clean and lift and feed and medicate people when they aren't able to do it for themselves. They provide comfort and also often discomfort to patients so they can go on living. And Crosby in this chapter spends a lot of time lamenting how overworked and underpaid Donna and other CNAs like her are and there is good cause for that. It is true that this is hard work that is not often rewarded. But she mentions, as well, what sustains Donna in that work, and it is her faith. Donna would, would sing gospel tunes and pray loud prayers as she went about her work. She would call upon the Lord to give her strength when she was lifting some patient out of a bed. Crosby herself says quite explicitly that she has no, none of this faith. She has no faith in Christ. She has no need, no desire, no quarrel with Christianity. She's just indifferent to it. But for Donna, Donna's faith sustains her as she cares for this paralyzed woman day in and day out for over a decade. Whether, whether Crosby acknowledged it or knew it, it is clear that it was the faith of another that helped to sustain her life and that helped to give her a new life after her accident. You see, the, it was grace. By grace, you are saved. 
It is clear that Crosby was in some sense saved in the aftermath of that accident. In order to live on, she says, I must actively forget the person I once was. I am no longer what I once was, yet, come to think of it, neither are you. All of us who live on, we are not what we were. We are what we are becoming, always becoming, and perhaps that what it, that's what it means to be saved, to be becoming, to be a new creation, to be alive and to become more alive, even when we suffer a great trauma that we think will never go away. Even if we do not know that pain or the experience of paralysis in our own bodies, I think we all know the experience of being trapped by grief or pain or fear. Even just over the last two years during this pandemic, we have known what it is to be unable to move about as we want, unable to go about in our usual manner. What sort of life is that to live? We keep wondering when we'll get back to normal. But here's the good news. Here's the good news in this story for the paralytic and for us. Say it with me now. By grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And so what are we to do with this grace? What should we do? We can't boast in it. Paul says that for sure. Well, I think the men in this story show us what our faith is ultimately for. It is for others. It is for humble service. It is for working out the intentions of God for the people who are hurting, the people who are homeless in the world, so that they may become a new creation, so they may become at home in the kingdom of God. Again, Paul shows us very practically what that looks like shows us in that prayer that he prays. When was the last time you got down on your knees, like Paul says, and prayed for someone else the way he does? Praying for them to be strengthened in their inner being by the power and presence of Christ. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I know I, for one, have prayed such things for myself. Lord, strengthen my faith. Christ, help me to understand. I've prayed these things also for the people who are close to me as well. I've prayed this prayer for this church. I've prayed this prayer for you all, that you may be strengthened in your inner being by the power and presence of Christ. And I know that others have prayed this prayer for me. They had to have, because it is the faith of others that saves. We cannot save ourselves. We are paralyzed by our sins and our doubts and our pains and our griefs, and yet it is grace all the way down through faith that makes it so that we can nevertheless live and live abundantly. Perhaps this week you have read the news of bombs falling and soldiers invading Ukraine. Perhaps you have felt powerless about these global machinations. Perhaps it has felt like it is a bit paralyzing. Or perhaps what has paralyzed you has been something a little closer to home. Whatever it is, though, it is these kind of moments when we, 
when we have to fall on our knees and lean into the grace and faith of others, the grace that comes in prayers like this one Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. It's the kind of prayer described by the late great poet Anne Weems when she writes, I no longer pray for peace. I pray for miracles. I pray that stone hearts will turn to tenderheartedness and evil intentions will turn to mercifulness and that all the soldiers already deployed will be snatched out of harm's way and that the whole world will be astounded onto its knees. Some say that there is no hope. But I've always applauded the holy fools who never seem to give up on the scandalousness of our faith, that we are loved by God, that we can truly love one another, and so I no longer pray for peace, I pray for miracles. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, transfigured, becoming a new creation in Christ. And this is not of our doing, it is the will of God for us and for this world, which God has prepared from the beginning. And so we pray. We get down on our knees and we pray for miracles. And everyone is amazed and glorifies God and is filled with awe and says, today we have seen incredible things. May that be so. May that be so. Amen. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. If you're in the area, we would love to welcome you in person for worship on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. in our sanctuary on Rhodes Avenue next to Bird Park. You can also join us virtually online via live stream at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church or to make a donation in support of our ministries, please visit our website, churchbythepark.org. Now may the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be in abide with you.